from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us in Christ. We thank you for the mercy you've shown to us in this moment where we have heard your word. Living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So Lord, help us to hear in faith. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are softened to your spirit's touch. And Father, whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you, I pray that would fall, that your word may stand. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, would you speak today? Even on this day, where we have gathered, would we hear from you? Apart from you, we can do nothing. So have mercy, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to sing at the outset of this, and Sarah Beth talked me out of it. But I want to call your attention to modern prophet by the name of Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> and he wrote a song that many of you have know and I'm sure, I'm sure none of you have sang on a bar on a Friday night <laughs> called Family Tradition. Y'all, y'all know. Look, oh, he got somber. <laughs> I was going to do it. I was going to... Hank, what? You know that one? <laughs> Family tradition. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I had a life too, y'all. <laughs> Jesus saves us all over the place. He wrote this song, Family Tradition. You know, why do you drink? Why do you smoke? Family tradition. I, I don't have the lyrics before you. It's not a song that I say you should go home during your, medit- your, your quiet time with the Lord with Hank Williams Jr. in your ears. Um, but he was a prophet because he had, and I'm joking about that too, but he, he inherited a behavior pattern, right? He's saying, well, he, there was a Hank Williams Sr., if you guys didn't know this, who was also a country music star in his own right before uh, Hank Williams Jr. Uh, and he's saying, I, I inherited these behavior patterns. I inherited how to live this way. I inherited what it meant, meant to be a, a country music star. I learned this. I got it honestly. That our greatest instructors, or the greatest instruction that we receive, doesn't just come to us in propositional phrases. That you can't have truth, ultimately, and you can't have gospel truth, ultimately, that's disembodied. What I mean by that is that you don't encounter, just like Hank Williams Jr., He didn't learn what it meant to be a man and to to be a country music star. He didn't learn that from reading a book, but he learned that by looking at his father. 
So we got the good and the bad. And for the us as well, when you learn the things of Christ for the first time, Christian, you know you learned it. Probably some of you might have opened up the Bible, and, but even that's not disembodied, right? But you probably learned it from someone. And you might have heard it from someone over and over again. I can recount, I don't know how many times, but I know many, many, many times driving down Lake Murray Boulevard, where my, I grew up at First Baptist Irmo. We, we, uh, we lived over near in the old part of Harbison. So we would hop on, if you guys know that side of town, we'd hop on Broad River Road uh, and take that little bend right there. And uh, on the Lake Murray Boulevard, there's a fire station. It used to be a fire station. I think it's still there. And Rivlin Hills Baptist Church is there. And we would drive. And ev- almost every Sunday morning of my childhood, I, could, I had some sort of little something from my mother about Jesus, about what it meant to follow him, what it meant to follow him in baptism. What it meant, you know, every, usually, right, if it wasn't, you know how it is with kids, sometimes she's sharing and there's like a neck bulge from, I've driven her crazy that morning getting dressed. But over and over and over again, I learned the gospel embodied. Now, obviously, I'm talking about one person, but I was in the context of the church, and I, I learned it from dear, precious saints. Some of them are, have gone on to be with the Lord. Some of them are still, like, Sunday school teachers. And there's a, my Sunday school teacher, my first Sunday school teacher, when we went to First Baptist Irmo, is still a Sunday school teacher at Irmo. I saw her uh, last year. They had me over for, like, a men's thing or something, or I, I don't know what it was. Um, and she was there, and she, I was just, Ms., Mrs. Gregory, if you're listening, thank you, right? She had the most fascinating Sunday school room. There was like wasps' nests. It was like a biology lab. It's fantastic. Um, but, I, but anyways, I saw the gospel. I heard it, but I saw it embodied because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message about Jesus taking on flesh, living amongst us, stepping in our place. And so if we're going to learn Christ that way, we must be able to and be prepared to share Christ that way. And this is the essence of discipleship. This is the essence of following Jesus is that you learn. It's like if you're a if you're in in one of the trades, right? You learned it from somebody. If you're a plumber. You had to learn plumbing. Like you did your, I don't really, I'm not a plumber, so I don't really know how it works. But I know eventually you got to get with another plumber and see what, this is what you do. And this is what you do and stuff breaks. And you got to fix it or an electrician. Those are things in my house that I don't do. There's a lot in my house I don't do, but that's two big things I will never try to do. Um, but you learn it from someone. And here in 2 Timothy, right, just as a, as a remember where we are. The Apostle Paul is writing. This is his last letter. He's, uh, he, he doesn't get a deathbed. He gets a death cell with chains, shackles, and he is on the verge of losing his head for Christ. And he's writing to his son and the Lord Timothy, but he's also writing to the church at, at large. He's writing to the Ephesian church and all, also the, the, the churches throughout the ages like ours in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he, after this chapter one where he is, he's encouraging and he's admonishing Timothy to guard the gospel, to not be ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says now, you then, in verse 1. And that becomes, if you're going, to, going home and you're going to read through 2 Timothy, which is, I know you all do this every Sunday. You go home and you say, we're, we're in 2 Timothy, I'm going to read the whole book this afternoon. It'll take you like 30 minutes, maybe. So I know you already all do this. So, but next time you do it, which you should do today, I mean, what, it's raining, what else are you going to do? Don't nap. Read the Bible, then nap. Nap, then read the Bible. It's all good. But you, you see these markers where Paul says, but you, or you then. We see it here. Uh, we see it in chapter 3, verse 10. We see it in chapter 3, verse, chapter three, verse 10. says, you, however. Chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, Paul's setting a distinction between Timothy and the false prophets, the false teachers who are all around him. As for you. But for you, Timothy, you're not like Phygelus and, Her- and Hermogenes. You're not like those guys who left me in Asia. This is where we were last week. You're not like them. Remember Onesiphorus. Remember his, his vulnerable mercy. But as for you, my child. And this is where I think oftentimes we get discipleship wrong. Paul says, you then my child. Some of your translations will say, my son. This is at least the second time in 2 Timothy that Paul has referred to Timothy as his child. That he has great affection so that his connection with Timothy is not a professional one. His relationship with Timothy... It's not just a didactic one. It's not just a a teacher and a student. But what Paul is entering into is saying that in me and in the gospel that you have heard from me, Timothy, you have a family tradition. That the familial connection, this family connection is deeper and stronger and better and more conducive to Christian discipleship than a merely institutional connection or a programmatic connection. Let me unpack that. I know you already figured all that out, but I'm just saying. Being connected to people, learning the ways of Jesus with people that are like family, is different than learning the ways of Jesus with people that you are simply participating in an institution with or learning the ways of Jesus because you you all ended up in the same program at the church. When he says, you are my child, Timothy. You heard the gospel from me. You believe the gospel from me. And you've learned the ways of Christ from me. And this isn't just... Paul and Timothy, but this is Paul's M.O. This is his modus operandi. This is how he makes disciples. Is that he brings people into vibrant connection by the gospel with God. But he sees people in vibrant connection with himself. Consider what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me. As I imitate Christ, there's a deep relational, come, come live your life like I live my life. And even this shows up later in 2 Timothy in, in chapter 3, verse 10, that I already referenced once. Listen, 
You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings. Timothy learned as an apprentice in the spiritual family of the Apostle Paul. And this is how Christians grow up. You're connected to a family. And y'all know, you know it. If you've been a Christian for long enough, you know. You know being a part of a family of believers. Being a part of a family unit is different than we all studied this thing together. Or we all go to the same church. I mean, how many times? And I get it, right? But how many times have I been like, and I'm talking to somebody who sits, I'm not like not pointing at y'all, just saying over here. And I'm saying, oh yeah, such and such in the church does such and such. And like, who's that? And I'm like, well, they sit over here. <laughs> I have to reference, right? This is, we have assigned seats. If you're a visitor, I'm sorry. You didn't, they're not marked. You have to know, right? Um, insider knowledge only. Just kidding. They're not assigned. You sit wherever people will be fine. Uh, but uh, but we have to say, I, they're, they're usually over here. and they, So we have members, and that's okay. So being a part of family requires something more than this. Because you don't... There's, I mean, we, we are family. Like, there's the reality of it. The substance is that we've been brought into the family of God. We've been given the, the spirit of adoption, God says, that we're, we're welcome into His family. We're sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. That you have a deeper relationship with people in Christ than you have with anyone else in the substance of things. But in the expression, you have to have some unit of people that is smaller than this unit of people. I mean, I grew up, and this isn't saying that this is the marker of like the way it has to be, but we have family dinners. And we sat and we tried, we do this at our house. Mercy, it's a, I know it's hard, y'all, but we, we sat down at a table and we went around and talked about our day and all that kind of stuff. But you, you I mean, you, you would only get together and sit, to, sit down for a buffet meal with 100 plus people on, at a family reunion. And you're thinking, there's my crazy aunt. Sorry, I'm not, again. I feel, I'm not pointing. I promise. I'm not, I'm just kidding. Um, there's, there's my crazy cousin. There's my crazy uncle. There's my, you know, or, or people. I don't even know who that person is. But that's, that's Aunt Juju B's second inherited, second, third cousin, twice, 14 times removed. And they count, they wanted barbecue today. But... But you need a smaller unit because there's no way that you can be in family relationship with people in a room this big. Not, I'm not saying, again, just like you might call up your cousin Bill. But in terms of somebody that you can learn the ways of Christ with, those are people that you are with in a smaller group, a smaller forum on a more regular basis where you might be breaking bread together. You might be eating together. You might have a mentor or you might have a mentee. You might have someone that's ahead of you and someone that's behind you. 
But it's so important if we are going to pass on the family tradition of gospel discipleship, following Jesus, the ways of Jesus in all of life. And it has to be a family connection. A family connection in, in expression as it is in substance. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I told myself I wasn't going to preach a whole sermon on a verb, but um, this is like the summation of the Christian life right here. Uh, summation is too strong, but it's that it's the epitome that Paul gives Timothy a, a passive imperative. It's a present passive imperative. So it means right now, continue being strengthened. But right now, so present, passive means it's being done to you. You're receiving grace. You're receiving strength, right? And you know this verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That the strength we have for the Christian life is not something that we provide. The grace of conversion, of coming to faith in Jesus, isn't something that we provide. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We're separated from God. But God, being rich in mercy with His great love, with which He has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. You are the, you, you, you are the dead people who have risen. Christians, your story in the Bible is Lazarus. Dead, stinking in the ground. Maybe it was stinking at a bar on a Friday night singing Hank Williams Jr. But you were stinking in your sin. Rotten to the core. And somewhere along the line, God sent a word of the gospel in a person. And at some point, you repented of your sins. You came clean in Christ. And you received new life. It is a present passive. You continue to need the grace of Jesus. You continue to need his blood, his wounds. You continue to need his righteousness that you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, Christian. That that your right standing, your right relationship with God is in Christ that you have received, it has, been, it has been given to you, it has been accounted to you, it has been credited to you, His righteousness, so that when God looks to you, He sees His Son. When God looks to you, He looks to you in mercy and in grace because of the perfect obedience of His Son, Jesus. How liberating is that? It's a present passive. You're you're receiving what God does for you. The opposite of that would be saying, "I I have to climb the ladder to achieve these things for God. I have to achieve some standing before God. I have to build the foundation and set my feet upon my own accomplishments, my, my own righteousness, my own consistency in the faith. And have I, have I done these things well enough? Have I not done these things? Has my good outweighed my bad? 
And we live in this ledger. And sometimes we are so terrified to be honest with ourselves that we skew the ledger. Well, that's really not that bad. Look at all this good stuff. Look at how much money I gave at the barbecue. Look at how I help my neighbors and how I build, I build ramps for people and I feed the hungry. Look at what I do. But dear ones, if you're doing those things, expecting them to be built, you're building the foundation for your right standing before God. They are regarded as filthy rags. Because we are not holy enough. We're not pure enough. We can't atone for our sins, and neither can your mama or your papa or your cousins. Who can give a ransom for another man, the psalmist says? You need Jesus. You you can't build the right foundation by church attendance, by giving your money, by doing right things in the community. All good things. But if they're good things done from a rotten heart that makes the good things rotten. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Never, sometimes, sometimes a good apple looks fine until you bite into it. If Disney's worth anything, they've taught us this, right? Is that Snow White? I forgot. It's the core. It's a present passive. Be strengthened as you have freely received grace and forgiveness your sins have been removed they have been imputed or credited to christ upon the cross he who knew no sin became sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of god you are counted righteous that you if you are in christ your standing before god is purely of grace It is a free, unmerited, unearned, unachievable, unlockable achievement that Christ has given to you. And if you miss this up, you miss the gospel. Okay. But now he's talking to Timothy. This isn't about conversion. He's saying, you've experienced this, Timothy. But now be strengthened now as a follower, as a not just a follower of Jesus. You're a leader in the church. How are you, Timothy, prone to fear, prone to being thinking that he's, he, you know, he seems a little reticent, a little hesitant, a little withdrawn, a little, little not knowing when to jump in as we look at what we see in First and Second Timothy. How are you going to guard the gospel in this day and age? Everybody's dropping like flies. People who have more gifts than you are failing. People with bigger churches than you are failing. People with bigger bank accounts and more privileges are failing. How are you going to guard the gospel, Timothy? Be strengthened. The only way, Christian, pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, whatever you are, the only way that you're going to live the Christian life and do what God has told you to do, make disciples of all nations, only way you're going to do that is by the grace of God. You do not come to Christ one day and then say, all right, I've outgrown my need for the gospel. I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to accomplish these things. 
I'm going to build big things and do great things. And you might have some success there, but you won't have endurance. And you won't make gospel-centered disciples. Because you know for all of the good that you might inherit from your family, you inherited some of that dysfunctional baggage too. Nobody, I'm like, your mama's not here. It's okay. You can acknowledge it. We inherit, we inherit the good and the bad. We inherit the, we inherit the blessings and the dysfunction. This is why if you are looking to get married, some of you are like, that ship has sailed decades ago. You should get some premarital counseling, by the way. Just so you can press into that with, some, with somebody who can kind of look in from the outside and say, you're, you're bringing... You're bringing some, uh, some Samsonite suitcases into your relationship. And we need to open those up and deal with it. doesn't mean you can't be married. You've got you to acknowledge the, this thing over here. Because you, you bring something in. In the same way, if you're missing this gospel of the free grace of God and your continued need for the gospel of Christ, that your status before God still today 50 years after being a Christian is all of grace. If you are making disciples, you're telling other people about Jesus and you're teaching other people about Jesus, you're teaching children about Jesus, you're saying this is what it means to follow Christ and you've missed the gospel, you're discipling them into a a form of Christian moralism that may or may not get them saved but it certainly will not let them soar. Be strengthened by the grace. If we will be strengthened, the beginning part of being strengthened is an acknowledgement of weakness. How how am I going to guard the gospel? How are you going to guard the gospel? How are you going to teach someone else about Jesus? How are you going to evangelize? How are you going to tell the gospel to someone else? How are you going to teach someone, this is what it means to have a godly marriage. This is what it means to be a godly parent. This is what it means to be a godly citizen of the United States of America. This is what it means to die to sin and live to righteousness. This is what it means. It is only of grace. And right now, in many of your heads, you're thinking, there's no way I could ever do that. You are on the right track. I don't know enough. I'm not equipped enough. I don't know the right answers. That, okay. Be strengthened in the grace that is found in Christ. If you're a Christian today, then you have the Spirit of God in you. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, You have, with a Bible in your hand, you have everything you need to do what God tells you to do. And all of those things that are flying up in the back of your head are your flesh reminding you of how weak you are. And it's meant to discourage you. It's meant to turn you aside and say, I could never do that. But you need to look at all those flags popping up in the back of your head and saying, each one of them, Each one of those excuses 
are an opportunity for you to display your weakness. And in our weakness, God demonstrates His power. Do you remember that part? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your strength. No, I got it wrong. In your weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Welcome to the Christian life. We lead with a limp. We walk with a limp. We disciple with a limp. Because with all of our weakness, all of our limitations, with all of our finitude, we are able to point to our limitless Savior. And say, follow Jesus. You can follow me as I follow Jesus, but I'm walking with a limp until glory. I'm not going to get it right. And all of those excuses are opportunities to say, look at what Christ can do. Be strengthened, Christian. And the grace that is found in Christ. Look to Jesus. It's so tempting. I'm, and I'm, y'all know, I'm a book nerd, right? You come to my office and people are like, you know, there's always that guy. Well, do you read all these books? Hmm? It's like, I'm, I'm working on it. That's why I have them all. I've read, you know, it's about 80, 20, I don't know, something. Um, but for me, it's always like, well, I need, I need a better strategy. Let me go find a book about it. This is all like in my head, right? What's going on in the church? Let me find a book about it. Somebody else has done this. And that's, that's good, right? Seek wisdom. But my first turn, your first turn said, let me go to the Lord. He's my fountain. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the master disciple maker. He is the shepherd of the sheep, which is the same word as pastor. He is the apostle of our confession. He is our prophet, our priest, our king. Go to Christ. Look to his word. Take him at his word. Do what he tells you to do. And what you'll find out is that you'll, you're stepping, you come up upon, and this is the Buick's in the way. When you step up on the, uh, the moment of obedience, and it seems like a big chasm is before you, and you're thinking, I can't do this. I can't tell this person about Jesus. It's going to come out like I'm blah, 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 blah. Or it's going to come out, you know, I've told you the story about the lady who came to my house when I was like 10, right? Or eight. And I was answering the door. And this precious lady, she's doing God's work, but it scared the mess out of me. She, she, uh, she can't, came to the door. Y'all, some of y'all know this story. Um, it's one of my favorites. It was a Saturday morning. And back in those days, eight-year-olds could answer the door, right? Um, I've reached that age. And... She, I opened the door, and she, she's like, it felt like she was eight feet tall. She probably wasn't. And she bends down. And there's no hi or hello to my remembering. Like, I, this could be, I'll meet her in heaven, I'll ask her about it. And, uh, and she goes, if you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? And I said, I said, Mom! <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can do this. And that might not be in your comfort zone. That's okay. You need to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. But be strengthened in the grace that is found in Christ. And it seems like there's a chasm stepped out in front of you where you, there's no way I can cross that to get to obedience. But it's like that, it's like the Indiana Jones, the invisible bridge. Anybody? Or am I? You guys know. I know you all know. Right? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's okay. It's movies. It's pop culture like 50, 40 years ago. Um, 
But there was a bridge, right? There was a chasm. And the only way that you were going to get across is that the bridge was invisible and you had to take a step. And when you take the step of obedience, because Je- Jesus has told me to share the gospel, whether or not you have the gift of evangelism, it's another sermon, another day. The evangelist is there to equip you to do evangelism. Ephesians 4.11. Okay. How am I going to share the gospel? How am I going to disciple this person who's coming to faith in Jesus? Well, start with the gospel. Open your Bible and say, let's look at who Jesus is. Let's go through the I am statements in the gospel of John. Let's go through the seven signs that are in the gospel of John. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is how multiplication is born. When you take what you know about Jesus, live it out and give it to somebody else. And those people that receive Christ through you, take what they have and give it to someone else. What you would see, there's a great page and Robbie Gallaty has this book uh, called Replicate. It's about discipleship and things. And he says, and I'll close up with this image. I know that if you were to imagine an evangelist who shares the gospel every day for a year, and every day for a year, he sees someone come to know the Lord. At the end of the year, how many people does he have? Thank you. I just like, there's... A lot of, well, it's a trick. It's 365, okay? 365 days, 365 converts. Say he does that for five years. I'm I'm not going to do the math because my math is going to be wrong. So, say he does that for, whoever said 10 years, it's an easy number, right? Um, 3,650 people come to know the Lord. Wow! Now imagine you had one guy one woman discipling two people for a year. And those two people, after a year, disciple two more people for a year. And those disciples disciple two more people for a year. You're looking at after about, you know, fifth, I don't know, 15, 20 years, it is exponentially more people who have heard the gospel, who have been shaped by the gospel than by the one superstar evangelist who is reaching somebody every day. The slow process of discipleship and discipling a few in a family. So here's my question. Two questions, two challenges. Who are you following? Don't say Jesus. Okay, VBS answer. Jesus is the answer, but who's ahead of you? In your spiritual life, do you have somebody? And they don't have to be older. Some of you guys, that's like a, it's like a thin ribbon of the population right up there older than you. I love you. I love you. But it doesn't have to be somebody older. 
And it could be somebody the same age or somebody who's gone through more. But is there someone ahead of you that can speak into your life, a peer that can speak into your life? God has blessed me tremendously. Uh, I've had a sort of intermittent mentor and then I've had a mentor for the last, I don't know, what, 10 months, not even that, eight months, six months. Uh, and it's been fantastic. And he sometimes we're sitting at lunch and it's just like he's able because he's a, he's a seasoned older pastor. He's able to sort of crack open my chest and just puts his finger. He's like, have you thought about this? And I, you know, I, I, I hadn't thought about that that way, but I think I feel I feel seen and I need that. I need that because I do that to people, but I need that from somebody else. And so I'm saying if your pastor needs that, not that I'm better, but I'm, you know, you need that. You need to find, and it might be me, or it might be your deacon, or it might be your Sunday school teacher, it might be your, somebody in your small group, your community group, or your, in your Sunday school class. But find someone ahead of you and say, will you, will you help me learn how to follow Jesus? Let's, let's get together, just pray for me, whatever it is. Find that person. If you're trying to find your way, and you're like, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. I'm interested in following Jesus. Give me a call. Like open. I have very little time, but I'll make that time. Where we'll go through the gospel of John. We'll do something. Second thing. Who's behind you? Who are you discipling? Because here's the thing. You have received too much to let it stop with you. You know what I'm saying? Even this morning, maybe your Sunday school lesson or your community group, whatever you guys talk about, or another sermon, or you listen to somebody, a better preacher on the radio, I don't care. But whatever you got, you're receiving all of this goodness from God. It can't stop with you. What happens? You know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's not because there's no inflow. Because there's no outflow. There's no river leading out of the Dead Sea. So all of the stuff just stays there. And that's what happens to a Christian who doesn't give away what they've received. It's only in giving it away that it begins to find its place in your life. So you find those two people. It could be two people in this church. It could be your kids. It could be two of your neighbors. But find, find one. Find one. Find two. And say, we're going to go through this, and then I want you to go find somebody else. And go, go through it too. And it's going to look like small potatoes in six months. But in six years, we might change the world. What you receive from me, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Paul, Christ to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to the next generation. Four generations. What would four generations of disciples look like in Elgin? bigger ask what would four generations of churches 
What if we planted a church by God's grace? That church planted a church by God's grace. And that church planted a church. And that church planted a church. That's remarkable to think about. But it begins with you saying, I'm going to duplicate my life, replicate my life in this person so that they follow Christ as I follow Christ. I'm going to invite them into my home and invite them into my life and see what a change will happen. But be strengthened and know that you are freely forgiven if you come to Christ. In a minute, we're going to celebrate the baptized cadence and she's crossed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. And she's making that testimony before you all today. But what a great thing it would be is if you today moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. Maybe you're, you're going to move from disobedience to obedience, trusting what God has given you. You're going to start doing what Jesus tells you to do. Make disciples of all nations. Do it today. Make that phone call. Make that text. Set up the coffee. Set up the lunch. Make it awkward. It's fine. Do obedience. And see what God does with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. And I pray, God, if there's some here that they're wrestling with what you would have them to do, that first of all, that they would turn their eyes to Christ and what has been accomplished for them. That, Lord, the offer of the gospel is not do better, try harder. The offer of the gospel is repent and believe in Jesus and be born again, experience new life. So there are some today that need new life. They know that they are far from you, They know that they have not been walking with you. That they do not have sure footing before the God to whom they must give an account. Would you awaken their hearts to yourself that they might call out to Christ in faith. I pray, O Lord, for our church, for your church, that even now we would be thinking about those connections that we have the people that are ahead of us that we need to hear from and the people that need what we have. They they need to hear the gospel from us. They need to hear the good news of Jesus from us. They they need an open door to step into our lives with all of our stuff, all the good, the bad, and the ugly, so they can see what it means to follow Jesus in this world today. And may we know that every weakness Every weakness is an opportunity to testify to your strength. So make us that sort of people who leads and loves with a limp until glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.